We are so thankful for the moms in our life. Amen? Once again, if it wasn't for moms, we would not be here. Yes, 7,300 diapers by the time that child turns two. Do you know what that equals? That equals three 40-hour work weeks per year spent changing diapers. And we have Dina back here, ready to pop. Stand up, Dina. Stand up, Dina. Are you ready? Are you ready for the diapers? No, she's not. I'm, I'm discouraging her already. I should probably stop right now, huh? Yes, preschoolers require a mom's attention every four minutes. That's 310 times a day. Mommy, 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 mommy. How many of you can relate to that? <laughs> what if you have two, two, uh, two preschoolers or maybe three? Maybe you're blessed. Does anybody have three preschoolers like right now? So that would be, yeah, Kiri. That would be 630 times a day. Mommy, that's a lot. Just think about that for just a moment. Should we give them another flower? I think they deserve another flower. Yes, heroes. They are heroes. They are my heroes. Moms are, uh, my mother, my personal mom is truly my hero. I absolutely love her and adore her. She's not here today, but... uh, she has uh, made me and molded me, molded me into the, the woman that I am. I have, I, have, I have visions in my head of the moments that I was naughty with her. How many of you have memories of those? <laughs> oh, yes, I have many of them. I remember one time I'd gotten a knife out of the kitchen, a huge, big, huge, long knife, and I wanted to, um, I was going to cut something. I was, I was preschool, and I had that. I was, I was making something in my little play kitchen, and she was like, Jolie, stop! And it scared me so bad I cut myself. <laughs> yeah, those moms, wow, they, they put up with a lot. I used to sleepwalk. And it was just me and mom in the house. I'd scare her to death every time I'd get up and run around. Um, but yeah, you know, the things we put our moms through, Amen. They are, uh, they are truly heroes, and uh, I just... So what's a hero or a heroine? Uh, this came off of the Internet. A hero or a heroine is someone who, in the face of danger and adversity, raising children in general, or from a position of weakness, uh, they would display courage and self-sacrifice. That's a hero or a heroine. And I love that because I really feel like, you know, in a few, few weeks, I get to preach on Father's Day, apparently. So we'll talk about the heroes in the, in the house as far as, as the fathers. But today we get to talk about moms. And I want to make it clear. I want to make it very, very clear here today that when we talk about moms, I'm not talking necessarily about women who have had babies. But yes, that does include that. But every woman has the mothering heart inside of her. So I'm talking to every single one of you girls out here, amen? Every single one of you. There are some heroes, um, though, in the, in the house. Oh, one more little fact. Um, they have come to the conclusion uh, through clinic, they have clinically pr- proven that having kids may make you smarter. That's what it said. I'm thinking it does. You know, take the may out. It does make you smarter. You have to be smart. Hallelujah. But we do have some heroes even in the house. And uh, let me see if I can pull up all of my, some of, some of these got sent in a little bit late. Um, but uh, a young man sent this one in. I can't imagine who it might be. Uh, it starts off, Chanel. Every day, I thank God for how perfect of a mom you are. When I pray for Hattie and for her life, 
God reminds me that she has the best mom raising her. It gives me so much peace knowing you are by my side raising our kids. I love you so much, and I'm so excited to continue raising our family and so grateful for you. Now, the next line goes like this. Now, that part was from Hattie. And she says, it says, I love you, Mom. You're the best. Unfortunately, I won't be able to read all of these, but this one just tickled my little heart. This is a shout-out to Sue Schmidt from your son, Sean. My shout-out to my mom is that I am so thankful for everything she does for me, even when I'm not feeling well or acting whiny or petulant or being unsavory in general, (laughs) no matter what. She never stops thinking about me and how to help me along. I know I don't say it nearly enough, but thank you, Mom, for everything you do for me. (laughs) Petulant, unsavory. And that is a homeschooled boy with with a vocabulary that does not end. Let's see, one more. You want want to hear one more? One more? Okay, okay. Give me a second with my technology here. Why I love my mom, it's because she is my best friend. We do everything together, and she's always there for me. Mom is hilarious, capitals, and and makes everything super fun. My mom is the best mom in the whole world. I love you, mom. Love, Sophia. (laughs) I so wish I could read all of these that came but uh, so fun so fun Uh, we really do have a lot of uh, if there is a woman in the house we have a hero in the house because uh, God made women very special and uh, so today I want to just take a moment and and to kind of talk about this so um When I talk about heroes, I'm not talking about perfect. Do I hear an amen in the house? I'm not talking about perfect. I'm talking about courage and self-sacrifice. So a lot of times when, when we women sit through sermons or speeches about how wonderful moms are, in the back of our mind, we're always disqualifying ourselves because we know every time we've messed up. I'm serious. I could list them all. Shall I tell you a story about one or two of them? Ugh. But as I was planning for this, I was looking online about heroic women. And uh, a few months ago during the Japanese uh, big uh, earthquake in Japan, they were going through the rubble. They were sifting through the rubble, and they were searching for any survivors that they could find. And they came to one house that had been completely demolished, and they started kind of cleaning it out. And they found that there was a room, a kind of an area, the, a, a, like a cavity. And they reached, they could see through, and they could see a body in there. And they, they were able to clear it apart until they could reach in. And, and they felt the body, and they knew that that, that person was, was gone. They, they had passed away during the, the, um, the earthquake. And uh, they knew it was a woman. And uh, 
they, you know, at that moment they felt this, we better go find ones that are alive to save. And so they all, the rescuers walked away from that house and they started digging in other ones. And, but a couple of the guys said, no, we got to go back. I just feel like we need to go back. So they went back over there and they, they kept digging her out and, and they decided to, to go ahead and, and get her out. And as they got her out, they realized that underneath her, there was a child and the child was still alive. Now, to me, that's a hero. To me, that is someone who has a, had a lot of courage. And in fact, and I don't know how this happened or how it all came apart, or, you know, came about, but she had her phone with her and she had texted a message to her baby. And she said, if you survive this and I don't, just know I love you. Pretty cool. She gave her life. That was self-sacrifice. But you can bet she wasn't a perfect mom. You can bet that if we had a conversation with her, she would have stories to tell you of times that she failed and didn't do it right. But I'll tell you what, girlfriends. It's not about being perfect. It's about courage and self-sacrifice. And uh, that's, that's what we are here to talk about here today. Um, in the Jewish family, in the Jewish home, the woman, the mother, they're very, very, very important. In fact, they're so important that there's a, a saying in the Jewish community. It says, God couldn't be everywhere, so he created mothers. So uh, I'm kind of after that. I like that. Jewish women created the entire, uh, the, the, the Jewish household. They're the ones that made the household Jewish. And their main role, and it continues to this day, and it's it's actually cross, cross-cultural as well, um, the teaching and the imprinting of all Jewishness into the household and into the children came through mothers. It was not the fathers, it was the mothers, and it still is. So girls, part of our job is to imprint spirituality into our children and into our, the people who we nurture. Amen. So it was very, very important. Did you know that even... Uh, so if the mother was Jewish and the father wasn't Jewish, the children were Jewish. But if the mother wasn't Jewish and the father was, kids weren't Jewish. Their spiritual heritage came through their mothers. Very, very interesting. I think moms are important, amen? Very, very important. So, you know, even in the Ten Commandments, it says, honor your father and your mother. There's an equality of honor to be in the household. And so many people who don't understand God, they don't understand the Bible, and they look at religion, they see it as a patriarchal, overbearing, over-authoritative, male-driven households and situations. And that is, that is a lie. That is not how it is. Yes, the man is the, the head of the house, and we as women are ones to follow them. But in the godly perspective, in the Jewish home, there was equal honor between the two because there was equal need of the two. Equal need of the two. Coming back into Genesis, I always have to bring it all back to Genesis because you all know I'm doing a Genesis series so uh, let's go back to Genesis, right? It's all in my head right now. It's like, pfft, you know, everything goes to Genesis. 
But uh, those first couple chapters of Genesis, God created man in his image and in his likeness. So therefore, everything that God was, how he was, his, his character, his integrity, everything that was in God, he, he placed a reflection of that in man, in Adam. So there's an, a, an incredible thing here where we can look and we can see truly what God was like by looking inside of humanity. But, so, so the thought is, and, and many, many scholars believe this, that, that Adam carried both female and male. That God carries both male and female attributes, all of the things. And it wasn't male and female then. It was all one. It was the God. It was who he is. It's, it's his characters. It's identity. It's, his, it's his, uh, who he is. And he made Adam to be just like him, okay? So that, but Adam was all by himself. He didn't want to be by himself. He kept, you know, looking around. How come there's two birds and two kitties and two doggies and there's only one of me? Something's wrong here. So God took Adam, put him to sleep, thrust his hand into the side of Adam, and withdrew femininity out, and separated the very character and integrity of God into two. In him, it's one. He carries both masculine and feminine and everything that I'm going to describe as to what masculine and feminine is. He carries that. He is the embodiment and the unity and, and uh, he's one. But he separated in humanity that there would be two that worked in tandem, that there would be a separation, that one would, that, that one would reflect a portion of God's uh, character and integrity and another would reflect the other piece of it so that when we came together, there would be a unity and a completion. So what did he pull out? Femininity. He pulled out three things that we're going to talk about here today. He pulled out nurture, he pulled out teacher, and he pulled out guide. And he left into the masculine soul the protector, the provider, the authority, and strength. Now to say that a woman cannot protect is to also say that a man cannot teach, and that's not true. We work together. We each still have the essence of each other within us. But there was a separation. And one is better at things than the other, and the other is better at the other things. Amen? So don't get weird on me and say, yeah, but, yeah, but don't do that. (laughs) Because I understand all that. But femininity, what did he pull out? He pulled out nurture. In God, you will find the perfect nurturer. Open your Bibles right now to, if you would, Isaiah 51, verse 3. Isaiah 51, 3. Let's put that up on the, on the screens, if you would. The Lord will surely comfort Zion. I'm going to look up there. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all of her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden and her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in here. Thanksgiving and the sound of singing. 
The Lord will surely comfort. The word comfort there means to hold on to, to surround with his arms and to pull onto his lap and to hold on to him while, and hold on to Zion while Zion weeps. The idea of comfort and nurture is that they take things that are broken and, and not good and are in possible grief and negativity, things that aren't quite right. Keep that verse up there because I can, I'm going to keep referring to it. And, he, and God, the nurture and the comforter, takes that and brings it into a new thing. I will look with compassion on all of her ruins, not on all of her perfection. The nurture side of God loves to look at us and take everything that is broken and is not working right and isn't quite there and is a bit ruined in our life. And God takes that and he surrounds it with his arms and he pulls it close to him. And he says that joy and gladness now will be found in this and that thanksgiving and the sound of singing will be coming forth from this. This is the comfort and nurture of God. And every single one of us can run to him and find nurture. Now, how does it work in a mother? And once again, if you are female, you are mother. I see two-year-olds, three-year-olds walking around nurturing their babies. It just happens. It just happens. Mothers, women, have the ability to look at other people in their brokenness, their own children in their brokenness, comfort them, put their arms around them, and bring health and wholeness to them. Amen? I was reading this story about Abraham Lincoln. He's my second favorite. The pilgrims are still number one. But Abraham Lincoln comes right in there. It's a great book. Just prior to 1818, Thomas and Nancy Lincoln and their children moved from Kentucky where there was all sorts of friends and family and great times were going on. They decided to go move to the frontier of Indiana, out to the woods, nothing, no one. No house, no nothing. They just packed it up and traveled and found a spot, piled out of their, their wagon and lived. In 1818, a disease swept through the area, and Nancy died, leaving Thomas, the father, with two children. Abe was nine, and his sister Sarah was 11. He knew that he could not do this alone. He knew he could not raise these kids out in the frontier with absolutely no support and no help. He knew he couldn't do it. So the man packed up a little sack and walked away one day, leaving those two children, Abraham, Abe, we better call him Abe because I'm going to start thinking I'm preaching Abraham, Abe, Abraham Lincoln, and his sister Sarah to fend for themselves. And he walked back to Kentucky to find a wife. And it was months later he got a wife who had her own children. She was a widow. And they climbed in a wagon this time, and they came back. He didn't know what he was going to find when he came back. But he comes riding into their homestead, and there's the log cabin, and out pops two little faces, 
two little faces that have been left alone for a very long time. Now, this woman that he brought back, her name was Sally, was a very well-to-do, wealthy, very well-kept, put-together woman. And when she pulled in, she had no idea what she was going to find. And instead of finding a house, it was a shack. It had no floor. There were no windows. And two little urchins looking out the door. She had a choice. And here's what she did. Abe and Sarah were in dreadful condition. Their pitiful lack of everything did something to her mother's heart. Come closer, dears, she said, as she took the accumulated grime, looked at the, uh, took in the accumulated grime on their faces, hands, and feet, and their matted, tangled hair, and the very desperateness of their need for her did something totally unexpected in her heart. There would not be, after all, a prolonged period of gradual beginning to care for them and then hopefully loving them over time. Instead, an... Uh, overwhelmed with a rush of love and belonging, she gathered them into her arms, grime, matted hair, and all, and kissed them. She washed their untangled hair, uh, untangled and untangled their hair. She addressed their bare, frost-cracked feet and tattered clothing. She made use of a gourd of homemade soup, or soap, sorry, <laughs> she'd brought along. This is the woman that Abraham Lincoln later wrote. All that I am and all that I ever will be, I owe to my angel mother. This is the nurture. This is the kind of nurture. This is the kind of comfort that, number one, we get when we run to the arms of God. With our grimy faces and our tattered hair and our, our you know, bare foot and, and lacking of clothing and, and lacking of everything that we have, every single one of us can run to him. Abraham talks numerous times about how this woman changed her world. And if you keep reading in the, in the following pages just about how that totally changed him around. In fact, she got him dressed and, and made him moccasins and, and did all sorts of things for, her, for him and then showed him a mirror picture, you know, Know, a mirror reflection, he'd never seen it. And he looked at that and said, that be me? That's the nurture of God in our lives. He takes us from where we are broken and absolutely matted and tattered. Anybody been there before? He and God's heart will take you and draw you to his heart. He will wash you and cleanse you, make you moccasins, and show you a picture of yourself that you had never had an idea of. And that's what moms do. Girls sitting out here, we take our babies that sometimes aren't the cutest things on the planet. And they kind of sometimes throw up and they kind of sometimes throw tantrums or whatever. They sometimes kind of, you know what, you can just fill in the blank. But we wrap our arms around them and we draw them close to our heart and we start calling them into what they are not and into what they will be. Amen? The nurture heart of God, the nurture heart of mom. Okay, moving on. Teacher. Teacher. Isaiah 48, 17. Teacher. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer and Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord who teaches you what is best for you and who directs you in the way that you should go. Teacher. 
God is the one that puts into our hearts wisdom and knowledge and the how-to of anything and everything that we need to do. And every single one of us need to listen to his teaching because his teaching is always right and true. When I had my first baby, I was very emotional. I cried and cried and cried and cried. And I said things I probably should never have said You would laugh if I told you, but I won't bore you with all of them because they were very funny. Someday you'll find out all of of that time. But it was so indelved in my head. And that night, we were laying in, you know, I was in my bed, you know, there at the hospital, and everybody had gone home, and and I was holding my sweet baby, and, 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 and I was just talking to her, and all of a sudden I realized she wasn't looking at me, and she wasn't, she wasn't engaging with my conversation, you know. I couldn't figure it out. And I started like, no, no, and I'm crying over and everything, and, and I'm saying, and I, I, we said something, I said something to her, and, and it's what we've tried to live with this whole time, and I said, Jasmine, I will do my very best every minute of the rest of our lives together to understand you and to love you, but I need you to obey every word I say, because if you will, your life will be very good, because my love for you is so immense That I will never tell you a lie. I will never tell you anything wrong. I will never steer you wrong. My love for you is so incredible. Just listen to mama every step of the way. And do what I say and life will be good. That's how God treats us. He is so loving and so kind and he has our greatest good in mind. And he comes to us constantly with wisdom and direction and the right thing. It's our job, our job to listen and learn and obey. And if we can, how much can we avoid the pain in life? Teacher, God is the ultimate teacher But mamas are the ultimate teacher as well. Psalm 48, 14. The last one, guide. The guider. Is guider a word? I wrote it down. It didn't look right. Guidance? Guider? Guide? Okay, so guide is a person as well as a concept. You know, if you ever have a question about these things, Kathleen is a queen of all of this. So just go right over here. I'll give you her cell phone afterwards. <laughs> she'll, she'll take care of you. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. They'll all be calling you. Uh, so Psalm 48, 14, we're going to talk about how God is our guide and, and mothers are our guide as well. So for this, God is our God forever and ever, and he will be our God, guide even to the end. He's our God as well to the end, but our guide even to the end. So what's the difference between guide and teacher? Guide and teacher, guide and teacher. Teacher is the one that gives the wisdom. The guider, I kind of like it, the guide is, if you can picture in your mind, uh, pictures of those um, oxes and, and big animals uh, with a little guy behind him with a long stick. You know, like a whip. So the, the cow is just walking along. He's going to go wherever, you know. And that guide is going, not over there, you know. And it kind of gets him back. You know, that's your guide. That's the guide. 
The guide is the one with the stick, the long switch, that as you're going down the road of life, the guide is the one behind them going, come on, no, no. You know, sometimes it's a little bit more than a tap. Anybody ever relate to that? Has anybody been the one receiving the tap? Okay. So this is not necessarily always like great gobs of wisdom being poured out like the teacher does. The guide is the one that makes sure we stay on the path. And God promises to be our guide to the end of the path. How many of you ever felt like you're on your path alone? God promises to be on the path with you until the end of the path. And sometimes he taps you a little bit on the side. Don't go over there. Don't do it. You're going to crash and burn. I don't always feel the nice loving taps. You know, the nice loving taps kind of sometimes go by the wayside in my mind. Anybody can relate to that? You know, sometimes with me it takes the good old whack. Oh, yeah. I'll get over here. Whoopsies. You mean over here, Jesus? Absolutely, you know. But guide to the end. How many of you uh, were so privileged this last couple of weeks to um, see a uh, Facebook video that was kind of floating around about those Baltimore um, riots and uh, those, that whole day, I think it was two days that went by of watching all those riots and watching the videos. It broke my heart. Broke my heart. How many of you felt the, the sobriety of our situation and the need for God and our nation. And I loved your sideline on sports. I saw one um, clip there where the pastors of Baltimore came together and they marched into them and, and started you know, ministering to them and actually bringing calm. It was very cool. It was the pastors rising up saying, you know, we're going to bring God into the midst of this. But the thing that, that just made me happy was a video that was floating around, I'm sure every single the lady, the mama in yellow. Who saw the mama in yellow? That mama in yellow. Until I saw mama in yellow, I was worried about the nation and the future of our children. But when I saw mama in yellow, everybody say mama in yellow. I had a renewed confidence that all would be fine. She was guiding her son. She was guiding her son. Hallelujah. There's something about the fact that I saw, when I saw that mom, I just, it, it was going to be okay. Because that young man had a mom in his life. That young man had a teacher and a nurturer and a guide in his life. And I would say to you, God wants to be your guide. But since God can't be everywhere, he gave you mothers. And you women are incredible guides. And if it came down to it, a slap might not be so bad. You have my permission. I have to say, I have to say, 
So much I could say right now. But the fact, I was saddened that there wasn't a father slapping him. I was saddened. Maybe he does have a father. Maybe his father was working that day. I don't know. But it was good that he had a mama. It was good that he had a mama because I saw God coming out. I don't want you. I heard a, a, a interview with her afterwards, and she just kept saying, I didn't want him to ever be another Freddie Gray. I didn't want that for him. I wanted better. And God would look at you and say, I don't want another destroyed human being. I don't want another shipwrecked life. I don't want another pile of my purpose to go unseen. I don't want it to go another minute. And he's on the side of you saying, stop, stop, go this way, come on, and get back on the course. That's what God is doing to every single one of us at this moment. Can you feel his push? Mamas, don't ever stop. The moment you stop, the moment I've had moms look at me and say, I'm just tired. I'm looking at her going, you can't be tired. Not for another 10 years. Then you can be tired. Then retire. You know, whatever you got to do. But you can't get tired now. Say, I'm not tired. I will not get tired. I will not give up. Not until this kid gets to where he's going. Hallelujah, my son graduated yesterday from college. Woo! Feels so good. But I'm not giving up guiding quite yet. All right? I think it'll be forever. Okay, moms, let's close it up. Number one, know that your role is a vital God reflection in your home. If I can do anything, I would look you in every single one of your eyes and stop saying you're a failure. Stop saying you're a nothing. Stop telling me about all of your mistakes. Rise up and know that you are the embodiment of half of the character of God. That's you. And you know what? He did not make a mistake when he made you. And he did not make a mistake when he gave you your kids. And he is a mighty, awesome God who's looking at you going, you're my girl in this situation and I have no other. Don't stop. Don't ever stop. You are my reflection in this world. And I don't care if you don't have biological children. Find a few kids out there that don't have a mama that's not guiding them anymore and get guiding them now. Now, because you are a reflection of God's character and integrity. And if you're just sitting around thinking you're a failure, you're listening to the devil. Just like that woman is the hope of that young man. You, you women of mighty women of God, you are the hope of our society. You are amazing. Don't tell me all your mistakes. Don't even think about them. I've made many myself, but you know what? I've made a lot of good ones too. Not good mistakes, but you know, good things too. And when the end of the day comes, it's my prayer that my children will rise up and call me blessed. But more than that, it's my prayer that many across society will look to me, maybe at my funeral, and say, she helped me. Amen? Your God-like role.
Number two, don't judge yourself on your failings because heroes aren't perfect. That Japanese woman, that woman in Japan, she was a hero, a hero of that child's life. But I will tell you, she was not a perfect mom. I can tell you that because she was a human. And thirdly, never, ever, 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 ever stop nurturing, teaching, and guiding. Because now, with a room full of women who are rising up in their godlike role, nurturing, guiding, and, teach, uh, guiding and teaching, there's hope for our society. Amen? Let's all stand. I love mamas. I love women. Girls, no shame. Girls, no low self-esteem. Girls, forgive yourself right now for imperfection. Girls, in this room, don't let anything hold you.